Hi there, my name's Reed, and you're listening to Power Spikes Behind the Streams. Now, if you're a marketer, you're probably aware of Twitch. If you're not, well, then ask somebody under the age of 35, and they'll probably be able to tell you all about it. But the short answer is, it's where all the kids are watching Fortnite all day. Now, there's actually a lot more to it than that. Twitch is the leading live streaming platform for video games and other online content. It also has attracted the attention of celebrities such as the rap artist Drake, athletes from the NBA, NFL, NHL, and other leagues, and has even produced its own celebrities such as the streamers Ninja and Dr. Disrespect. The point is, Twitch is kind of the real deal. It features some of the world's best content creators streaming live, and more than 15 million people pass through the site each day. It's the real deal. So if you're just hearing about Twitch for the first time, you're in luck, because today we're going to be talking about how to get started using the platform as a marketing channel. So the streaming network is now in its eighth year of service. It remains the top site to watch anything from esports, game playthroughs, talk shows, and has even expanded into creative genres such as cooking and music production. But for some marketers, Twitch can be difficult to peg down. Getting started on the platform can be a real challenge for brands. There's also a unique culture that's exclusive to Twitch that was bred from the video game community. So it can be kind of foreign and can make you think that Twitch is really only for gaming brands but that's really not the case. So today we're gonna to be joined by Marshall Carper of MegaCat Studios, who recently authored a white paper on Twitch marketing. He's MegaCat's Director of Brand Engagement, and he's gonna be joining us to talk about his paper today. Thanks for joining us, Marshall. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. We're also joined by PowerSpike CEO, AJ Damiano. AJ is a former shoutcaster and Twitch streamer who experienced sort of frustrations himself with trying to find sponsors. So he started PowerSpike to help people like himself and other gamers connect with brands to get sponsored. AJ, glad to have you here as well. Hey, what's going on, guys? Reed, thanks so much for having me. You bet. So Marshall, AJ, let's just get right into it. Um, people look at Twitch and they see this incredible platform with millions of people watching it and just all sorts of content going up on it. But it's so unique and foreign and different. What is it about Twitch that makes marketing on it so valuable, but also just so unique and different? Marshall, let's start with you. Sure. Yeah. So, so my background prior to MegaCat was in marketing agencies, and in the marketing agency world, you're always looking for tribe leaders and influencers to help you get your get more reach, whatever marketing campaign that that you're running. And the challenge with those those kinds of campaigns is that actual engagement, meaningful interaction between a brand and an influencer's audience can be really tough to come by and it's really difficult to fake it. So as Twitch has grown and as Twitch communities have, have become these thriving hotbeds of content creation and, interact, and, and interactivity between streamers and their audiences, it's become a really cool place for brands to be a part of that conversation in a meaningful way. So that gets me really excited as a marketer because now I'm not just like slapping a logo on something. I can make a brand an actual part of a conversation in a way that's impactful for everybody. AJ, how about you? When you look at Twitch and obviously having been a Twitch streamer, um, what is it that made it so unique and valuable to you? You know, one of the things that I've always found so special about Twitch is that it really is the engagement platform. 
You have users on Twitch that are watching for an average of 95 minutes a day with so many different content creators from so many different backgrounds. You have people who are playing League of Legends, World of Warcraft, people who are eating food on stream, and you even have people who are walking around Hollywood and just talking to random strangers on the street. There's so many unique content creators on Twitch and so many amazing different conversations to get involved in. It's really a platform that's built on engagement, but also a platform that's built on community. And it's really a great, great platform if you want to get involved with the streamers community in an organic way. And do you think that brands and marketers kind of look at that community and look at the engagement and think, well, you know, it's just a chat room or I don't really understand how this turns into a conversion or a lead. Um, is there just sort of a fear because it's just it's so unlike anything uh, marketers have really dealt with in terms of video or content creation? Yeah, it definitely is. I think that for some marketers, it can be a little bit intimidating at first. But one of the really surprising things that we've seen with a lot of the different brands that we've worked with at PowerSpike is that once they have a chance to actually see the Twitch chat, and how the conversation is really happening organically, it's really kind of a, a shocker moment to them. Um, a lot of times people will see that and be like, oh my gosh, this is so like organic and this is so happening like in the moment. Um, and just the fact that you can have a real-time conversation with a lot of your viewers and with the community, I think for a lot of people, it actually becomes a really powerful marketing tool if used appropriately. Marshall, how about you? Um, sort of in your experience, seen Twitch grow, what is it you think that makes marketers uneasy or wary about working with Twitch and then the response kind of back when uh, they're done working with and they see that there was a lot of potential there? Yeah, I think uh, I think you and AJ both hit on two big keywords. Uh, you mentioned uh, they don't understand it and then AJ mentioned that they're often intimidated by it. I think that that's part of, I think that's part of a natural reaction to something you don't understand. It's easy to to shy away from something that feels like it's big, but since you don't get all the ins and outs, you don't understand the culture, you don't understand the technology, it's easy for that to make you a bit gun shy about, about trying this platform and putting your brand someplace new. So to AJ's point, a big part of making Twitch more valuable for brands is educating them, getting them to experience the platform, getting them to see the different kinds of cultures that are on Twitch, because there's a lot of different community types and a lot of different types of content that are there. Once you have that education, the potential for the platform is enormous, and I think we're just at the beginning of what that potential can mean. But for right now, a lot of the conversations I'm having with brands, it kind of feels like the early days of Facebook, where everyone feels like there's something amazing here, it feels like there's something big happening, but it's so new that a lot of these brands, especially the, the more entrenched legacy brands that have been around for a century or so, uh, it, can, it can be a little scary to, to put your brand someplace new and try to do something new. And, you know, Marshall, I'm oh, sorry, uh, AJ, go ahead and jump in on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I was actually just going to add to that real quick. On, in, in terms of just the challenges that a lot of marketers see with the platform and, and why they're really wary to jump on, one of the things that I found which is, can be really intimidating at first is just the kind of content itself. It's, it's a lot more raw. It's unlike YouTube where you have a really polished video that's going to be going out or Instagram where you have this picture perfect shot, uh, somebody like holding up a can of Coca-Cola, for example. It, it's, it's more raw and it's more in the moment. It, you can't script this stuff. And I think that that's a big impediment that a lot of marketers run into. They're, they're very used to being able to um, give very, very concrete talking points, almost to the point of a script. 
uh, to influencers on platforms like YouTube and others. And with Twitch, you just can't do that. You have to let the influencer really speak in their own authentic voice. And to a lot of people, I think that that's a, that's a big leap and jump. The other really important thing on Twitch is that there are no content approvals. So when it comes to creating content on Twitch, everything's live and in the moment. So really, you have to trust these influencers to deliver on your brand's message and ensure that you're giving them the right things to talk about. So I think that those are probably two of the, the biggest objections that we see a lot of the time. And for brands, you know, it's the, it's the giving up creative control. It's the entrusting your brand's image to somebody you've maybe only watched 15 minutes of a stream before. Um, how do you calm a brand down or what do you tell a brand to, uh, what do you tell a brand when they think about that and they go, well, I don't really know if I want to let this, uh, you know, this kid just say whatever he wants and you kind of have to walk him back from it. How do you, how do you do that? Well, I think it's really important to just understand the key differences between Twitch and between other marketing platforms. With Twitch, the key to success in it is authenticity and engagement. You're going to be able to run a very successful influencer marketing campaign by letting the influencer have a very large amount of creative control on a platform like Twitch. On YouTube, you can be a little bit more stringent in the talking points. You can be a little bit more stringent in the creative because the influencer can send you the video before it even goes out and you can do 20 different approvals on it to make sure that everything's fine before it ships live. So I think it's really important for marketers to have a good understanding of what Twitch is and what it isn't. It's not a polished platform. It's not a super you know, streamlined, really perfectionistic piece of content that you're getting out there. It's much more raw. It's much more in the moment. People are probably swearing, and that's a part of it. So I think the key thing is to just understand what you're walking into and what the platform's strengths are and also what the platform maybe isn't so great at. By having a really good understanding of that before you walk in and start working with these creators, I think that that's the best recipe for success, just to be educated on it. Marshall, yeah. how about you? Is it would you do you have to walk back brands like that as well? Yeah, and I, I think all the all the potential obstacles and challenges that that you just described, AJ, are also the opportunities of what make Twitch marketing really special. I mean, you can pay for an ad read on a podcast, but really, the most effective ad reads on podcasts are where the podcast host goes off script a little bit and riffs on on what they're what they're engaging. So. For example, uh, Bill Burr, the comedian, his ad reads are, have become legendary because of, uh, of, of what they lead to comedy-wise. And Twitch is a, a hotbed for that kind of creative engagement. So on the one hand, it can feel a little bit scary to, to hand off your brand to an influencer and to let them run with something. So really the first step there is you need to be selective about the influencers you're, you're, you're working with. You need to do some research and understand the kinds of content they create so you can know ahead of time if they align with the brand. If you do that homework, it should be a lot less scary, and that way it's not that much different from choosing an athlete that you sponsor or choosing a, a brand rep. You want to make sure that that person's content style aligns with the personality of the brand that, that you're positioning. But from there, all of that raw organic content, that means that your brand has a lot of opportunities for those really special wow moments, those really unique community engagement points that are really special when they happen, but are impossible to fake and impossible to script. And that turns into some really awesome content that you can then share on your other social media platforms because you've given this one community a great experience with the brand. So all these things that, that seem scary are actually also what makes Switch really special and they should be a part of your, strat your, your strategy process when you're choosing how to use Switch with your brand. Now you both touched on it, AJ, you talked about it as well, Marshall, you were talking about it, is how 
Twitch offers just these unique content opportunities. There isn't as much vetting that goes into it as say uh, an Instagram post. I, for one, I always think about the fact that you compare a content creator such as Ninja or Dr. Respect, Dr. Disrespect on Twitch versus say an Instagram star like Kendall Jenner. And Kendall Jenner, she's working with some of the biggest brands uh, in the world, but you don't necessarily feel like you know anything about her because she's holding a Coke bottle or wearing a certain type of clothing in her Instagram posts. And further, I feel like once the post has gone up and you've seen it, that's the end of the interaction outside of making a sale. With Twitch, it's just so much different because it's living and breathing and you're engaged with it throughout the entire promotion and probably uh, moreover on that. Uh, out of that, for you guys, kind of, do you see those same differences between a Twitch creator versus sort of a, a, a YouTube or um, Instagram or Pinterest star? You should run on that first, AJ, because you have the, the the insider look at the the streamer lifestyle and the the the, the streamer <laughs> bailiwick. <laughs> oh man! Well, hey, let me tell you the really the biggest difference at the end of the day between Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and a platform like Twitch, and and really a internal word that we have for these platforms that we use to differentiate it is stationary content and live content. The biggest difference between these platforms is real time engagement. So on a platform like Twitch, you can chat with an influencer in real time and get real time feedback and real time engagement with that person. I can go into somebody's stream today and I can say, Hey dude, how's it going? And they can go back to me and be like, Oh, Hey, it's going great. That is something that just can't happen on any other platform, but Twitch. And it's able to happen live and in the moment. What this leads to is a really powerfully strong community that gets behind a lot of these top content creators on platforms like Twitch because you're able to have real-time conversations with these influencers. You're able to ask them about their day, ask them quirky questions, and learn things about them that you would have never known. Versus a platform on YouTube or a platform like Instagram, you know, I can I can say comment below someone's Instagram post and be like, Hey, Kendall Jenner, how are you doing? And you know, good luck if I'm ever going to get a response, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great point though, because I know that when, uh, when I go to Twitch channels, I like to go to some of like smaller streamers who sometimes are friends of mine and sometimes they're just playing a game I like. Um, and I come in and I say, Hey, you know, how's it going? And they respond to me. But also when I come back, they tend to remember you, you tend to remember your audience. I don't think that happens on Instagram. I, I don't think that people really see of those 30,000 likes that a star might get and go, oh, I can name all 30,000 people of those. Now, I don't think a Twitch streamer can remember every single person watching it, but if you're engaged in the chat, there's a good chance you're gonna see them over and over again. You have so many more opportunities to touch, uh, to reach out and have touches with a person over and over again, because there's a little, it's a little more personal in my opinion. And if I can, if I can jump in there, By all means. What, what's, what's exciting about the way AJ framed it with the, the, the stationary and the live content is that live content also means it has the chance to grow. So if you're using an Instagram influencer or a YouTube influencer, you, it's almost just like buying ad space essentially is what it comes down to. Even when you're really creative about it, once that piece of content hits the Instagram feed, You'll get, some con you'll get some comments and engagement, but really that content doesn't have a chance to evolve and change with the audience. But if you do Twitch, a Twitch campaign the right way, you're aligning with an influencer for the long term, for a long period of time. And with Twitch streamers, you know, a lot of times they're streaming six to eight hours a day, five days a week. It's a full-time job for, for these people. That means that your content has the chance to, 
to go a lot of different places in that time period. And a big part of that direction is going to be driven by the streamer themselves and also by their audience. So if you're creative and you take off the, the handcuffs of how an influencer can use your brand and use your products, you could end up in some pretty interesting places six days later if you're a part of that creative conversation. Yeah, and that's a really great point, just the fact that it just can live on uh, and more. So let's kind of move along here because we've got this incredible white paper that we really haven't gotten to talk to yet. But Marshall, uh, Marshall, you authored this great white paper, The Ultimate Guide to the Present and Future of Marketing on Twitch. Um, if you're listening, you'll be able to download it from the Power Spike website. You'll also be able to find it on our social media. I'll make sure to throw a link to it in the podcast description um, bio so you'll be able to get to it. And I really do recommend that you check it out because it's just this really fantastic guide that explains a lot about what Twitch is, who's on it, what sort of brands have used it before, um, anything from what the chat is like and what you can do with it to even more uh, basic on or even more based around ideas of what are some of the strategies you should really be using to tailor your brand to Twitch. Marshall, so just kind of talk to me a little bit about what spurred you to write this guide and what you really were hoping that people could take away from something like this? Yeah, well, well, thank you for the kind words, first of all. <laughs> I appreciate you, you taking the time to plug it. Um, yeah, the, the inspiration behind writing this guide is, I imagine, very similar to the kind of conversations that, that you and AJ have with, with clients at PowerSpike, is there's a monumental amount of education that often has to go into a conversation about using Twitch or leveraging Twitch. So for MegaCat, we're oftentimes making games for brands, and one of the big opportunities for those games is to integrate them into Twitch so that they get not only a longer shelf life, but a lot more impact because there's more ways for people to enjoy the game. Not just the streamer streaming it, but also chat participating in the game. So as we've seen in these conversations, kind of the same educational points come up again and again and again. And again, that's just because the the platform is so new and a lot of people are a bit intimidated by that. We wanted to collect a lot of the knowledge that we've used behind the scenes and put that in one place to make it a lot more accessible because really I'm excited about where the future of Twitch is going to be six months from now, but we're only going to get there if more brands take some risks and do some creative things and leverage the platform to its fullest potential because I think we're, we're still just scratching the surface on, on what's possible at, at Twitch. What spurred you to want to write this guide? Yeah, I, uh, I wanted the education out there so more people were using the, the creative potential of Twitch, especially Twitch interactives, Twitch extensions, getting, uh, getting more engaged with what the platform is possible, not just slapping a logo on a campaign, but finding exciting ways to make the, the, the Twitch audience more involved. Because selfishly, I'm a Twitch fanatic myself. Um, I always joke that Twitch is my ESPN, where some people have Sports Center on 24-7 at their house. I have Twitch on at all times. So... It's a big part of my life and my hobby and my work. And I think there's a lot more ways we can make the platform even more enjoyable and more engaging. And you make a great point about how it's your ESPN. Um, I actually love that phrase because uh, a data point I love to bring up to people when they talk to me about social media, my background's in social media, and they'll say to me, well, you know, Reed, how, how important is Twitter or how important is social media each day? You know, like, should we really be spending ad money here? And what I always tell them is, is like, well, you know, I'm 33 years old and I grew up with parents and newspapers. I worked in newspapers. And the first thing I check in the morning when I wake up is my Twitter account. Um, the first things I look at are who's on Twitch or who's on Facebook or what's been posted on Instagram. I don't pick up a newspaper or a magazine or even turn on a television. 
um, where traditional advertising is going on. So anyone spending traditional ad dollars on me, trying to reach me, is missing me completely because the zeitgeist around media has changed so drastically that, like you said, Twitch is now your ESPN. That's where you're going to be reached. Um, is that something you've kind of noticed as well, is that there's just an entire generation out there using different sort of media outlets or streaming outlets like Twitch that because brands aren't marketing on it, they're completely missing their target market because they haven't changed with the way media has gone. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, what I'll say first off is that the average user on Twitch is watching for over 95 minutes a day. So what you really have with Twitch is this really very highly engaged platform where a lot of people are showing up, whether it be like after school or after work or even just putting Twitch on like a third monitor for them to watch their favorite creator kind of day in and day out. So you have this in a way kind of third space being developed where a lot of people are coming, they're hanging out and they're being a part of these really new communities. What I'll say is that I, I think that it's probably the newest form of emerging media. I think that there's extraordinarily powerful opportunities that you can have on it. Marshall. I think that's something that you kind of write in the guide is about how brands can utilize Twitch. What can a brand really do to quote unquote become a gaming brand? And I say that with kind of quotes because I think that when you look at the audiences for video games, everybody plays, um, half of women uh, report that they play, anyone pretty much who's under the age of 40 has touched a video game and or played one before. Uh, it's as common as brushing your teeth uh, playing video games. So what is it that has to be sold to brands or told to brands that you do belong on Twitch? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of pieces here. And, and really, sometimes that, that, that question starts to, starts to really frustrate me because there's this idea that a, a brand has to be directly involved in games in a product way or in a, position, in a, in a marketing way to be considered a gaming brand. When really that's not a question anybody asked in any other space. So, for example, what does Budweiser have to do with football? Right. I mean, technically nothing. It's a beer, but through a lot of positioning and marketing and, and through a lot of creative, now, the, now this, this product is aligned with an activity, is aligned with a culture, is aligned with communities within this, this fandom of football. So the beer itself technically has nothing to do with football. But if you're creative about how you tie it to the community, then some really cool things can happen from it and also some pretty meaningful things in terms of everyone's experience involved. So I think there's a little bit of this, uh, this weird mystique around video games just because they're so new in a lot of ways and the video game culture can feel, a lot of, can feel very alien if you're not involved with it in a day-to-day -day basis. But really, from a marketing perspective, the challenges we're talking about here aren't that new. So you can build a point where your brand can connect with gaming. We've seen some really cool case studies in the space. Geico is really leaned into esports. MasterCard is really leaned into esports. These are brands that don't necessarily have a gaming component in their business themselves, but they've done the legwork to align themselves with certain kinds of gaming communities. So I think that's, that's the first hurdle to get over. And then from there, your, your best bet is to really start thinking more deeply about how Twitch works and the more creative ways that you can inject your products and your services into the Twitch ecosystem. Again, it should be entertaining. It should bring value. It should be more than just running a commercial on Twitch because there's so much interactivity there. There's so many organic wow moments happening that if you're just running a commercial, you're going to miss out on a lot of those. That's a really great point about Geico too. Actually, a kind of personal story is when 
I was started in the video game industry, one of the very first things I did was I was a fan of StarCraft uh, 2 esports, and I wanted to do something in that. So a friend of mine who did esports uh, marketing work had mentioned to me, well, we do these uh, bar crawls, which are kind of like, uh, it's a bar crawl, but for StarCraft, a pub crawl. And he mentioned Geico was sponsoring it. And I thought to myself, well, that's odd. Why is Geico getting involved? And then over the years, I watched Geico take that small sponsorship of a bar of people watching StarCraft II esports and turn it into a booth at PAX, into fighting game tournaments, um, to the point now when you see them out in the community, you see the Geico Gaming logo, but you don't really see um, necessarily what they're selling right away because they're bringing people in by making themselves a gaming brand. And then what they are doing is they're getting kids to sign up for insurance quotes. Um, but they're also more or less supporting a community that these kids care about uh, and want to be a part of. So when you mentioned Budweiser taking beer and linking it to the NFL or any sports um, league out there, that makes a whole lot of sense because I watched Geico do it basically over the past five years and do it really, really well. Um, so that's something that I think is just a really good point that you bring up about how you don't have to make your product a gaming product. It's more or less about how you can introduce and tie yourself to uh, the video game community and or Twitch community. Um, AJ, have you noticed that with brands you've worked with before? Um, and having to explain to them, well, look, you, you just because you don't have a video game product doesn't mean you're not a brand that should be marketing to gamers. Yeah, you know, there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to get involved in the space. Mar Marshall, you mentioned something really great in your white paper which is with the Geico case study, how they created this whole individual marketing department within Geico to go out and promote that brand within esports. I think that that's just so powerful. The fact that they really created this entire division and this entire like sub brand within Geico to focus entirely on this segment. Now, I don't know if every brand needs to go that far and, and create a whole different marketing department to get involved in esports, but I do think that there's surface level promotions that don't really do much of anything. And then I think that there are much more powerful promotions which get you ingrained in the community. And I think that that's where the meaningful value can be derived from. I'll give you, I'll give you a really good example. There's um, brands on the League of Legends LCS mm -hmm. where they'll essentially slap a logo on there and that'll be it. And they'll essentially check the box and say, box and say hey, we're in esports now. We did it, team. <laughs> right. And the, the, the challenge with that is it's cool, right? Like, I love seeing the logo of uh, a really big brand on the LCS or on the Overwatch League. And, then, you know, that's great, and it's really brand safe, and, you know, nothing's going to go wrong on there. Hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> but the challenge is, is that it's not really that meaningful. You're putting your logo on there. You're getting the name recognition. It's getting out there, the community. And, you know, there, there's something to be said about that. But at the same time, you're not really doing a deep dive with the community. You're not really getting involved with the people who make it up. And I think that that's a really, it's a really big shame. It's a missed opportunity for a lot of these brands. I think that there's so many better ways to be engaging with the esports audience. And the number one way that has always been the best way since the inception of the gaming community has been working through influencers and different content creators. Now, there isn't necessarily one right way to promote your brand, but I think that there are really strong ways within the gaming community that work really well. Particularly if you're a new brand that's jumping into this space, getting an influencer to put their stamp of approval on your product and take the trust and the goodwill that they have with their community and put their reputation behind your brand. I don't know if there's anything really more powerful than that for brand awareness, but also for 
brand engagement and trust. Really, you want to make sure that your brand is a trusted part of the gaming community. And we've seen so many amazing brands. Madrina's Coffee is a really good example of one of these brands where they've sponsored so many Twitch influencers and had their logo on their stream. They give everybody an individual creator code. They've even gone as far as to create an individual beverage, like a custom coffee for some of their sponsored creators. Hmm. There, there's so many really unique opportunities that you can leverage these influencers for, especially on Twitch. And I think that it would just be a shame to let all of that goodwill, trust, and engagement go to waste by just slapping a logo you know, on a stream or on the Overwatch League and calling it a day. Right, right. And I think that makes a lot of sense, too, is that it's just there's so much more to do. And in the white paper, it calls it out that, you know, you could put a logo on the stream or in the streamer's bio, but there's actually so much more you can do because they have built these communities. One of my favorite phrases is they say that Twitch streamers are kind of like mini startups. Um, they started a brand and they've been cultivating their brand for years, um, sometimes only months, but mostly years. And they've gotten to this point because they have a very unique voice and a very unique style that can't be replicated anywhere. And so when people come to watch that stream, that's what they expect. And so the advertising should be fit to go with that culture and with that brand that the streamer has built. Um, so I want to move on a little bit here just because we probably could sit here and talk Twitch and Twitch marketing and just esports and Twitch in general for hours, um, which I don't know would be super entertaining except to anyone but us because I love it. Um, but I think that one of the things that we see a lot of people say is, well, you know, I'm a Twitch streamer and I only have 100 concurrent viewers. Am I actually somebody brands would care about? So the crux of the question is, how much does influencer size matter on Twitch? Uh, Marshall, I'll let you start with that one. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question to answer. Um, size matters, but not in the way that you would think. So obviously there's just some, some hard data there of if an audience size is X, what kind of reach are you expecting? And then based on that reach, what are conversion rates going to look like, et cetera, et cetera, all that classic marketing math sort of stuff. But where a lot of people miss out, I think, in influencer marketing is they assume that to have the biggest impact, they need to spend a big budget on the biggest possible streamer they can find. And what they miss there is that those big streamers are great. They make some fantastic content. But the bigger an audience gets and the bigger a streamer gets, a lot of times it's more difficult and more challenging to get those organic wow moments happening, those organic raw experiences that AJ was talking about. Because in Twitch, once, the, once your audience is over 5,000 or 6,000, chat is a bit of a different animal than it is 3,000 followers, mm -hmm. 1,000 followers, or even 500 followers, or 500 uh, active Twitch users. So I don't think that brands should be closed-minded about the size of the influencer they're working with, because a lot of times you could take the same budget, get a lot more engagement, maybe the reach is not the same, but get a lot more engagement by sponsoring several smaller streamers instead of blowing that budget on one big streamer. So this is a, a pretty broad answer. This is not going to be the right answer for every brand, and I bet you that uh, AJ has some really cool data and insights based on the back end of Power Spike, which I'm always geeked out to <laughs> always geeked out to talk about. Because um, there's there's a lot of ways to to think about this problem and this challenge. But I think out of the gate, though, brands shouldn't discount small engaged followings, especially if they had the opportunity to use several of those streamers concurrently, because you could get one ninja or you could get several dozen medium 
medium-sized Fortnite streamers that maybe are having more meaningful conversations on a day-to-day basis with their audience. So it's just a, a different way to think about it. Agent, how about you and that thought, given that you've worked with so many brands and you work with so many streamers, uh, more than 20,000 people are signed up to work on Power Spike. There can only be so many million uh, person celebrity streamers. So you get a lot of mid-level, mid-size, and even micro-influencers, as they're called. Um, sort of what's your approach to that and thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, despite what you may have heard, size matters. And at the end of the day, it's really key to focus on finding the right influencers within a threshold. We, we've seen so many different studies out there about micro-influencers and how they're like super engaged. And that is true to some extent, but you have to be careful. And there's a really interesting pile of data that we've had around all the different campaigns that we've ran where we've had the chance to test with very large scale streamers that have, you know, 10,000 plus followers and average and current viewers. And then we've tested with very small people who have like 10 average and current viewers and, and not a very large following. And what we found is that there's generally a threshold. Um, which if you go below, you're going to have really variable results for the campaign. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's other factors to consider as well. Um, That threshold, but before I get to that, that threshold is really around that 50 average and current viewership mark to 100 ACV. Ultimately, if you're going below that threshold, you're almost getting into a range of people who are way too micro, and it often becomes way too hard to manage. With those creators, you're going to have so many different people that you could be working with at that stage. But the challenge is, is that we found that the results for those campaigns are typically really variable. We'll find that one of them does exceptionally well and has a really great viewership to click ratio, where another one of those creators does really poorly and they get like one click. And it's like, okay, well, why did we even place money here right. in, in, in the first place? So the, the challenge at the end of the day from what we've been able to see, you're going to want to stick around that 50 average concurrent viewership to 100 ACV threshold. That's typically going to be the minimum for you to get some kind of consistent results out of the campaign. And then I think as long as you're typically above that, what you're going to find is that there's benefits to each tier of influencer. So for the really, really large celebrity style influencers, that's who you're going to want to put your Fortune 500 grand on. So if it's somebody like Ninja or Shroud or Tim the Tapman, mm-hmm. like those guys are amazing. And they're going to be the best brand advocates for somebody like Coca-Cola um, or a really, really large uh, multinational CPG company. The challenge with those types of influencers is that the price for them is going to be really, really high. As you start to move up the ladder, the price to get a brand sponsorship with somebody like Ninja or someone like Tim the Tapman, it's exponential in terms of its cost. So, you know, an hour with, um, with one of these top creators could go for $40,000 or more. So the, the key thing at the end of the day is understanding if your brand is a good fit for them. So if you're Red Coke, yeah, you're probably a great fit for some of those creators because they're going to be able to change the perception of a large amount of people within a community. Versus if you're more of a mid-level CPG brand, well, you probably don't have the budget for something like that. So what we would recommend in that case is starting with probably a group of the largest influencers that you could find, but making room for a really cool cascading effect. What you'll find is that if you can identify the largest influencers in one community, like the World of Warcraft community or the StarCraft community um, or the League of Legends community, and get your brand sponsored on them, it creates a lot of name recognition within that specific community. And then what you can do is you can have this really amazing cascading effect where Once those top influencers have put their reputation and their name on that brand, 
and that stamp of approval, you're going to see that other creators within that community are going to be really interested in your brand and want to get sponsored by it. So you have this awesome cascading effect where you can start with these really large creators at the top and then move down and slowly start to build that influencer program with more and more creators who are really excited about your brand. So at the end of the day, I think that there's different benefits for each tier of influencer. For the massive celebrity influencers, people doing above like 7,000 to 10,000 average concurrent viewers on their stream, that is amazing for brand awareness and brand perception. It's going to be great for changing how your brand is aligned within the gaming community and people's perception of it. For people who are in that 1,000 to 7,000 range, that you're, that's going to be really fantastic for brand engagement. Um, it's really great in terms of driving a lot of sales over to a brand. Um, and at scale, it can also address a lot of really great awareness goals as well. And then for the people that are below that range, typically the 100 to 1,000, it depends on the brand that you're working with. Those people can also be really strong for engagement and driving conversions, but you need to find the right influencers to work with. Um, they can also be a really effective strategy for activating a lot of people at scale um, at a cost-effective price. So at the end of the day, it really depends on what your brand is, what your budget is, and what you're looking for. I think that there's different strategies to be employed for each of them, and it really depends on what you're looking for. The one thing at the end of the day that I will say that's really important is you shouldn't expect to see results, especially if you're looking for like clicks and conversions. You shouldn't expect to see a profitable influencer campaign from day one. It typically, and this is really with any marketing channel in general, it takes time to build up to it, and it takes time to optimize for it. You have companies like Revolve that are getting 75% of their sales from influencers, and it's a massively, massively profitable program for them. But what people don't realize is that company's been running their influencer program for over three years now, and they've been working with influencers for a really long time to get that program off the ground. And they've taken a lot of time to optimize that program and also let go of people who aren't performing so well for them. So I think at the end of the day, the key thing is start with a good mix of influencers who are going to be across a large number of communities at a very much different variability of sizes. Put them into your program, see how each of them performs, measure how many sales they drove for you, what, their, what kind of reach they gave for you, what type of engagement they were able to drive for you, and understand which of those influencers are performing really well and which ones aren't performing so well. We found the best strategy is typically to go full steam ahead with the people who are performing really well for your brand and keep sending them product, keep engaging with them and make them your really like star brand advocates. And then for the creators that aren't really performing so well, it's probably not worth moving forward with them. And you're probably worth sourcing other people into the campaign and just sort of continuing to optimize that program over time until you have a really amazing engine for profitability and it becomes a really strong marketing channel for your brand. So uh, I, I need I need to jump 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 in absolutely yeah because uh, AJ you've been holding out on me those are some uh, those are some really awesome stats <laughs> so so uh, thanks for keeping that a secret for so long oh, I'm um, so sorry <laughs> no no but, but what I, what I wanted to, to actually ask you more about was because some of the the numbers you shared were actually smaller than than I had expected you mentioned the the fifty to hundred range. So can you elaborate on what that stat means and, and how you're applying it? Because I feel like that's going to be a point where someone that's new to Twitch marketing is going to be unfamiliar with, with, with what exactly you mean there. Because I think it's really impactful. Yeah, absolutely. So an average concurrent viewer is somebody who is watching the stream live in real time. So it's the people who are tuned in in the moment. Um, that is a concurrent viewer. I should say. An average concurrent viewer is the culmination of all of, this per all of a streamer's 
different streams together and what their average viewership is across every stream. So let's say that they had 100 one stream and zero the next stream, their average concurrent viewership would be 50. Um, or no, yeah, I could do math, 50. This is why I'm a marketer, <laughs> not a mathematician. <laughs> but you get the point. So what we found is that you really want to look at their his, a streamer's historical data when it comes to looking at their channel and seeing how they performed in the past when making a decision in terms of if you want to work with them or not. Engagement is also a really important factor as well, although there's not really a lot of sites out there that can track that. Um, but if you can actually look at how engaged a streamer's chat is, that's also a really important indicator of how likely the audience is going to be to actually click over and want to make a purchase, purchase or at least click over to the site for the brand. Now, the reason that we look at that threshold of 50 to 100 average concurrent viewers is what we found in a lot of different campaigns that we've ran is it, it's really a rule of thumb. I mean, there's no like, you know, adamant kind of like barrier, like, hey, you have to be above this in order to be successful. We've seen people who have 10 average concurrent viewers run a wildly successful influencer campaign on Twitch for um, the, the price to clicks ratio that we gave them. So at the end of the day, you, you can be successful, but what we found is that it's a general rule of thumb that you're not going to want to go below that. The challenge is when you start to go into that really micro level, you're going to have really variable results, especially if you're paying um, directly up front, which we would encourage any brand to, to do if they're going to be running an influencer campaign on Twitch. What you're going to see with that a lot of times is that a lot of times the talent may be like unprofessional or um, they, it may just be their first sponsorship and they may be really new to it. So a lot of times you're going to have people who ghost the campaign or are unresponsive, um, or maybe you're sending your product to them and it's like a $30 product and there's no way that somebody with 10 viewers can drive enough sales to even be remotely worth it um, for you to send that product out to them. So what we've generally found is that your best bet is to typically stay above that 50 to 100 ACV threshold. Because after that, what we found is that the talent and the influencers really start to become a lot more professional with your brand. Um, they'll really, we find that the ratio and the rate of people ghosting campaigns goes way down um, once you start to go above that threshold. And then what we've also found as well is that it's, it's a lot more manageable and you still have that really micro influencer community feel where with a hundred people in a room, you can still have a conversation with that influencer. You can still go back and forth with them. Um, so, but it, it's not so small that like you're just having somebody sitting in the room and, you know, not really engaging with their community and not really driving, you know, a lot of back and forth conversation. I guess at the end of the day, it needs to be big enough so that you can have a conversation with the audience. Um, but I think once you get too big, like over that 10,000 ACV threshold, it becomes impossible to have a conversation and it's really just the streamer reading donations. Mm -hmm. um, once again, still powerful for brand engagement, still powerful for brand perception, but it depends on what your goals are. Yeah, and just to, uh, just to kind of put some, some, some scale, we have a bumper of where the small range would be. Uh, Ninja's stats were around 40,000 or so, I believe, as far as his, his average concurrent viewership. So that's a... Uh, that's a, that's a pretty broad range of streamers that are in the middle there that someone could potentially engage with if, as a brand. Yeah, and you know, I think that one thing that brands get really intimidated by as well when they first come on the Twitch is they see that number and they're like, oh my God, 100? That's it? What? Yeah. <laughs> because like, you know, most marketers are used to paying like 
on a CPM basis and getting thousands upon thousands of views on a platform like YouTube or Instagram. Uh, Twitch is much different than that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. What you have is, yes, it is only 100 viewers, but it's 100 really highly engaged viewers. It's 100 people who are there in the moment talking, chatting, and engaging with this influencer. So what you'll find is that there's different types of ways to, if you want to get that impression volume, you totally can. And you can do things like place a banner below an influencer stream or place a banner on an influencer stream. And that can really give you a lot of, if that is truly your goal, is to go for that impression volume, then putting a logo on an influencer stream and having that brand association could be a really great strategy to pursue. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, some of the most powerful sponsorships that we've found at PowerSpike have been the ones where it's really been an organic, deeply, um, an organic, deeply engaged campaign where the influencer is really doing something with their community to activate them and bring them as a part of the sponsorship. So what you'll find is that for certain sponsorships, you might not get a ton of viewership on it, but that's okay because the audience is really hyper engaged. And on average, what we found on Twitch is that you're going to be looking at anywhere between a 15 to 20% click-through rate at the time of the sponsorship. So you're trading off the impression volume a lot of the times for the engagement um, of the audience, which, depending on your brand goals, can be really powerful. So now, kind of wanting to move along here, um, first off, that was fantastic from both of you. Um, just unbelievable amount of information there, and just even I learned some stuff from it. Um, it's just something that there's just so much to be said about picking the right influencers. I think something I want to kind of get on here as we start to wrap up is the future of Twitch. And so obviously, if you've been watching any of the streaming news, you know that Twitch has a major competitor in Mixer. There are other uh, brands out there trying to make their own streaming platforms. I know Discord, which is a popular chat and uh, video call and audio call service for gamers, targeted gamers, is now going to let people stream directly into their Discord channels. Uh, which is going to be pretty incredible for people who have those large communities. There's just a whole future for this streaming marketplace. I still consider it to be a little bit what, like the Wild West, where each town is coming up with its own thing and has its own rules. Um, but one thing in the white paper, which, like I said, you'll be able to download it on our website, powerspike.tv, or check the bio of our podcast. We'll also have it on social media, um, is there's so much to be done with engagement in ways to use Twitch in unique ways if you're looking to the forward and where the platform is going. Uh, Marshall, you mentioned one, uh, a case, I guess you'd say case study in the white paper for a game called, or for a game called Coffee Crisis um, for Black Forge Coffee, which is, and I love this, a heavy metal coffee brand based in Pittsburgh. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about Coffee Crisis and sort of how that Twitch integrated game worked and why that was so unique and why that could only really be done with Twitch? Oh man, so uh, I could talk a lot about Coffee Crisis. So Coffee Crisis was made for a brand called Black Forge, as you had mentioned. Um, they're a heavy metal coffee shop based in Pittsburgh, but they wanted to start distributing their coffee beans and their roasts nationally and internationally. So they were using the video game as a way to add, add another merchandising layer to their business, but also to reach this, this broader audience with, for heavy metal coffee, which is a surprisingly... Uh, deep audience. There's a lot of heavy metal fans that are also major coffee drinkers. I was not aware of this until, until we started working with Black Forge. Um, it's also a really wild shop to go into if you want, to, you want a very different coffee shop experience. Uh, heavy metal playing while you're getting your latte is, is, is pretty different. Um, 
but we actually started the interactives on Mixer because at the time, uh, and this is one of the things that's exciting about Mixer. So I, I love Mixer as a platform and the potential that's there. I think Twitch is also pretty incredible. So I really don't have a horse in the race either way. But Mitch, uh, Mixer was very early to the table of opening the door to interactives and uh, making extensions a lot more accessible to developers. So with Coffee Crisis, we made it possible for the chat to impact what's happening in the game. And this is now a more common thing that, that's happening on both platforms, both Twitch and Mixer. So chat could choose to add power-ups, they could choose to take away health, they could choose to spawn more enemies, they could directly impact the experience that the streamer is having. And there's also a lot of on-brand heavy metal stuff like Blood Rain and Flaming Skulls flying around and things like that that the chat could choose to add to the game. So now you see a lot of this with, uh, there's a lot of donation incentives built into these kinds of things where on Twitch you can use bits to impact the game a streamer is playing. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of potential still here. Uh, right now, though, Mixer is actually ahead of the game in how this interactivity works, and Twitch is catching up. Uh, but one of the big differences is Mixer has a super low latency on when a, a chat user chooses to interact with the game and how quickly it, it, how quickly it actually impacts the game on the, on the stream. So that, that's made a lot of these interactives more powerful and more engaging on Mixer. So there's all this stuff about, you know, the audiences are different and the audiences are growing and there's definitely a scale difference so far in terms of the audience engagement. But I don't think it's, uh, it's safe to say where the future goes. I think it's possible that Mixer can become its own kind of platform or a certain kind of niche for certain kinds of communities. It's also possible that maybe it, unse it unseats Twitch at some point in the future. But I'm excited about that competition raising the game, raising the bar for both, both sides, because I think some cool stuff will spill out of it. AJ, you kind of, you come from the esports background and shopcasting background. Um, obviously, interactivity, like uh, Marshall was saying on Mixer, is going to be a big thing in the future. I think one thing people do talk about and you hear about a lot is just esports growth in general uh, for Twitch and Mixer. What do you think esports can really do to not only just legitimize the marketing channel of Twitch, but to just push it forward and make it keep evolving? You know, so one of the really interesting stats that I looked up before we jumped on this call here is that around 21% of esports viewership is happening on Twitch right now. It's a really massive part of the community, and it's almost as ingrained in Twitch and ingrained in the gaming ecosystem as influencer content has been since the very beginning of the, the Twitch platform. So you really have esports content acting as this massive, massive part of the gaming community. And it's a place where a lot of people are tuning into Twitch for. Um, and it's also a community that a lot of people are a part of. They're a part of these Twitch chats. They're a part of these streams. They're, uh, you know, spamming emotes for their favorite team. They're saying, you know, NA greater than EU, which is, of course, always true, no matter what. So <laughs> you have this really amazing community that's forming on Twitch and all these really awesome fans that are super excited about this content on Twitch. And you have this really massively growing industry, particularly for esports. It's growing about 30% year over year. And you're seeing a massive amount of brand investment really start to happen in this space. Um, I believe last year, brands were set to spend about half a million dollars within, or not half a million, sorry, $500 million, big difference there, within the esports and gaming space. And the market itself is really growing at about 30% year over year. 
So you're seeing this massive amount of brand investment coming into esports. You're seeing companies getting really excited about this space. And then at the level of esports in general, you're seeing local regional franchises start to pop up. Like you have New York Excelsior, um, London Spitfire, and, and you really have these local franchises that are starting to evolve and become something massive. And not only that, a lot of infrastructure pieces are, are being built for the space right now, too. You have local arenas that are being opened um, where fans can actually come out and be a part of this esports ecosystem in person. Everything's really been online until now, and, and now it's really starting to move into venues and, and real-life events. So you have this market which is just growing absolutely massively. There's no sign that it's going to be stopping anytime soon. And I think that Twitch and a lot of other platforms that are particularly within the gaming and live streaming space are really well positioned to capitalize on this trend as the esports wave continues to grow. If you think it's big now, you haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, it's just a tremendous uh, segment of video games. And really, you can arguably say it's branching away from video games to become its own thing. Uh, yes, they are playing a video game, but much like sports, they are just their own leagues or own governing bodies and their own advertisers um, and such flocking to it. So I want to kind of get to our last sort of discussion point here. We've touched on it a little bit, all three of us, um, and that's sort of the competition that's brewing between Twitch and Mixer and how Ninja, who you've probably heard us talk about him on stream before, I'll just do a little basic intro again on him. His name's Tyler Blevins. He's the most popular streamer uh, on Twitch. He recently signed with Mixer. Details on what he signed and how much are a little scant, but to give you an idea, this is really one of the first times we've seen free agency come into um, Twitch influencers. Um, in your opinion, guys, how does this impact the, the live streaming market? And what does this kind of mean for brands now that there potentially is two Twitches to work with uh, in the form of Mixer and Twitch? Marshall, I'll let you kind of start with that one there. Yeah, I'm going to uh, do the political answer and say it's really too early to tell. I think there's a lot of positive potential in this kind of competition for, for both platforms. I think there's a lot of things that could come from it. Um, the Ninja transition is exciting, it's interesting, and it does open some doors, but it's really tough to say which of those doors either brand's going to go through. Um, I think in, in, the best, in the best result would be both, both platforms kind of force each other to be better and to do more innovative things. So I think there is room for a different kind of streaming service or a competitive streaming service. I really don't want to see two Twitches. I think that doesn't really help any community or help anyone just to have two of the same service. I think it might turn into like a YouTube Vimeo situation at that point, which um, doesn't really – doesn't really open up any creative potential in my mind, but if Mixer evolves and Twitch evolves and maybe they evolve positive directions but are perhaps different, I'd be pretty excited about that result. Yeah, for, for me, I really look at it, and like you said, the diplomat answer is it's good to have two uh, different platforms of their own things. I think for me, uh, as a marketer, just looking at it, it's more variety. Uh, it's also just more opportunity. You have people who are already established on Twitch. They're going to stay on Twitch, but now you have Mixer getting a lot more uh, notoriety because Ninja has gone there and potentially other streamers may want to go there and see what they have. But for me, I think that really I look at it and I think that these are two platforms that are very much going to push themselves in the way that we have seen Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo push each other for the better part of 30 years in the video game industry. Uh, competition brings out the best 
in these companies and the video game industry would be nothing without competition. So for me, I'm personally very excited. The best part is it's not like you have to buy Twitch for $400 like you do a PlayStation um, or Mixer. You can just log on to these sites at any time and see what they have and be a part of these communities. So the accessibility is just unbelievable. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're a fan of, you can get into it. AJ, your thoughts sort of on Mixer's future and how Ninja sort of switches this up or maybe changes how you approach uh, doing influencer marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at the past and how MLG, uh, this actually happened a, a long time ago with MLG trying to compete against Twitch. They had mm -hmm. their own live streaming platform and they went out and they acquired the exclusive rights to tons of different content creators on their platform. And what ended up happening was <laughs> there wasn't really a, a big transition of anybody coming over to MLG at all. They, they had a very solid audience for a long time, um, but eventually they were forced to pivot away from live streaming in general, um, just because they really weren't getting the viewership that they had expected with it and anticipated. So looking at past examples, it's unlikely that this is going to cause a mass exodus of streamers over to Mixer just because Ninja is switching over. Um, that being said, I think that Microsoft has a track record of buying themselves into markets that they are potentially missing out on. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them continue to purchase more streamers in the future um, and continue to offer deals to different content creators to come over and stream exclusively on a platform like Mixer. So I think that that's only going to continue to keep up. And I think that there will be other large scale creators who will come over to Mixer um, in the short run. Now, that being said, the, the challenge is getting those viewers to actually come over to that platform and be a part of it. Because you have these really powerful network effects on Twitch, which one, it makes it really difficult to swap over. You have a ton of different streamers that you're probably watching on Twitch and channels that you're subscribed to. You know, I, I love watching Ninja. I really like his content and his stream, but I also love watching so many other content creators on Twitch. I love watching Maldiva. I love, you know, tuning into Trihex and watching him do his Super Mario Maker 2 runs. So, you know, there, there's so many different content creators on Twitch and you, you have this network effect, which makes it really difficult for, even if one creator leaves, for the average viewer to swap over and start watching on a new platform. You have to have a lot of people swapping over at the same time in order for um, a platform like Twitch to really be in trouble. Now, that being said, if Twitch is to lose their top content creators, like Tim the Tapman, Shroud, Dr. Disrespect, I think that they're going to be in a lot of trouble because those content creators make up the majority of their viewership on their platform. So this is a really big boost to Mixer viewership, and I think that you're only going to see more of this in the future. I don't think it's going to have a big short-term impact, but... I believe in the long run, it will help to start creating some healthy competition between the platforms. We'll see if they can actually dethrone Twitch. I'm not totally, you know, I think it's way too early to tell what's going to happen there, but it's a big move and we'll see if they can actually break the chokehold that Twitch has on the market. All right. Last question, kind of get to put on our prognostication hats for this one. Uh, and then we'll call it a day. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me. Uh, this has just been a tremendous chat. And like I said, we have the white paper that'll be on powerspike.tv. You can also get it from the bio in this podcast. We'll have it on social media. Marshall, is Megacap hosting the white paper online as well? It is, but just go to Powerspike to get it. That's what I'm on. 
Cool. So last question, and uh, I'll let you start with this one, Marshall, is what should brands be looking on the horizon for streaming? I think the, uh, the big thing on the horizon is that the technology behind live streaming and the types of content that we're seeing on live streaming is going to continue to evolve and change. So that's a challenge on one hand, but on the other hand, it means that you have the opportunity to be one of the first to take advantage of what could be the cutting edge. So Twitch extensions, Mixer extensions, the APIs are getting more and more open and a lot more in-depth. There's more things you can do now on Twitch in the last six weeks than you could six months ago. It's, it's changing pretty quickly. So if you're if you're interested in being innovative, if you're interested in a first mover advantage, there's still a lot of room to play on these kinds of platforms. Uh, the, the other side of that, though, is that you could be one of the brands that's late to the party. So be willing to try some new things, be willing to experiment. I think the, the bets are going to pay off. All right, then I'll just jump in with a short one. I think the professionalization of the streamer role um, is going to be a big trend in the future. Obviously, you've heard us talk about there are people who do this for a living. This is what they do. Um, they wake up each morning, they plan a show. Um, they start to take this a little more seriously than just I'm going to load up Super Mario Maker 2 and play it and have audiences come. They build personas. They build a literal show. They have run of shows. They have segments, they have guests that they frequently bring on. It's starting to remind me a lot of radio in a sense where you have these like radio jo radio jocks who have their show and they are on for four or five hours and they find ways to have a common theme, but they are doing something and more and expanding and building a brand for themselves. More and more Twitch streamers and Mixer streamers, in my opinion, are starting to look at the big guys and they're starting to realize that these guys take a lot of time pre-show to prep what they're doing, to think about what they're doing and think about why they're doing it. And they're starting to say, all right, I don't need to just be uh, read hours on stream. I need to be more than that. And that's going to make me that look that much better. So that's sort of always been my thought as I've watched Twitch grow from Justin TV to what it is today and seeing the shows change shape drastically from what they used to be. Um, AJ, for you, what should brands yeah. be looking on the horizon? Yeah, you know, I think it's the growth of multiple platforms in the esports and gaming ecosystem and the coming necessity for brands to differentiate themselves across multiple platforms. So you've got Mixer, YouTube Live, Facebook Gaming, um, and then these are some some other platforms which I think are really up and coming right now. DLive and uh, especially within the Oceanic market, uh, Doyu, mm -hmm. I, I, I really think that these platforms are growing exponentially and they're all on the trend of the growing viewership in esports and live content so what you're going to see is more creators emerge on these platforms and it's really going to be important if you want to be involved in the esports and gaming space it's going to be increasingly important to be involved on every single one of these platforms within the space and have a multi-channel strategy um one thing one thing that's really interesting as of last night um is is tumblr as well um that oh yes they were <laughs> that they were actually sold for, uh, I believe the, the price, this is just mind boggling to me. They were over a billion dollars a few years ago and they sold for less than $3 million to the site that runs WordPress last night, which is just mind boggling to me. Now, I don't think that you're gonna be, be seeing Tumblr move into esports anytime soon <laughs> um, or into live streaming for that matter. But you never know, right? With a new company, a new leadership heading it, there could be something that happens there. Um, at the very least, I think that as creators continue to build their brands multi-platform, that is one platform to at least keep in the back of your head whether anything's going to happen with that. 
Um, we'll see, right? But I thought it would be uh, important to bring up. Excellent. Well, hey guys, really appreciate it again. Once again, that's Marshall Carper of Mega Cat Studios. He's the author of the white paper on Twitch marketing, which you can download on our website, uh, powerspike.tv, or on our social accounts and in the bio of this podcast. Uh, also here with PowerSpike CEO, AJ Damiano, former shotcaster and Twitch streamer, um, my boss also, full disclosure. So have to put that in there. But once again, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This has just been a fantastic chat, very informative. Uh, something I think that a lot of people out there have these very questions and really glad to be able to provide a resource in the white paper Marshall's written um, to explain Twitch a little better, but also being able to hear some voices actually talk about it. Uh, in a way. So uh, thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us, Reed. Appreciate all it. Right. All right, then. Well, thank you all for listening, and we'll be back another time with some more guests to do a little Twitch talk. Um, this has been Reed Albers of Power Spike, joined by Marshall Carper of Megacat Studios and AJ Damiano of Power Spike. Take it easy, y'all. We'll talk to you later.